the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Just a few verses, verses 5 through 7. We're going to be talking about something that I don't think that we often consider, but it's of pretty fundamental importance. We're going to talk about the reality that you are a body. We're going to talk about on being a body. And the scriptures tell us about this in Genesis chapter 2. When no brush of the field was yet in the land... And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So what makes you to be you? What makes you, you? And what makes me, me? I'm not going to belabor this because I've already talked about it a few times, both in the prayer and in the introduction before the reading of the text. But you are who you are because of your body. Your body is real. It's what makes you real. When you cease to have a living body, you cease to be alive. And you don't so much have a body as you are a body. And this might be a reversal of how it is that you think about yourself. You might think that your body is accidental to your existence. You might think that what really makes you you are your impressions or your desires or your thoughts or your inclinations. It might be more challenging to think of yourself as more fundamentally a body. At various times, you might actually wish that you could have a different body, but if you had a different body, you'd be a different person. You would not be you. You'd be somebody different. And this is the reality of what we're confronted with in Genesis chapter 2. Christianity is a faith that looks very positively on physicality, materiality, and the body. It is a body-positive faith. Our bodies matter. 
You are your body. And as we venture into this topic, I don't have a traditional outline. I'm going to be moving through a particular set of, uh, you know, sort of thinking. I'm going to be moving from the reality of our body to the reality of the redemption of our bodies to the reality of the resurrection body. But I'm going to be kind of moving from one to the next in a more fluid way than I normally do. And so it didn't feel to me like these were three points, more like three movements within the sermon. And the largest amount by far is going to be spent in this first Point. So I don't have any particular points, but I've got these three movements. We're going to move from the reality of the body to the resurrection of the body, uh, to the redemption of the body, to the resurrection of the body. But I want to start by looking at our text together again today at just one verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It's not that God created your soul and then attached it to something physical, What the Lord God did in the creation of humanity was form a body and then breathe life into that body. What is primary for, therefore, all of humanity is the existence of our body. What exists within ourselves is is a, a living spirit that comes out of being formed from the ground, being made into a body, and then have God breathe life into it. There is an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. Now, I've talked about it with you before, but I think that this is a good opportunity to try to delve into it more deeply. This ancient heresy called Gnosticism worked its way through the early church. What Gnosticism taught was that you were a soul trapped in a body, that you were a soul trapped in a body. It denigrated material realities, saying that matter, physical matter, was evil. Gnosticism would train people to think of the body as a total other to the self, that it was a piece of matter that the soul had to struggle to manage. The goal of salvation for Gnostic teachers was to escape the body and to exist in a spiritual realm. According to Nancy Percy, there was a joke that was made by Gnostic teachers that I'm going to tell you about uh, and I hope you appreciate it as much as I do. I mean, it's, it's not a particularly funny joke, but what they would say, these Gnostic teachers, they would say that the body is a tomb, and they would use Greek words to make a play on words. They would say the body, now in Greek, that word is soma, and in Greek, the word for tomb is sema. So what these Gnostic teachers would say is the soma is a sema. The body is a tomb. The body is something that your soul is trapped in and needs to try to escape from, try to flee from. And so salvation was being enlightened and then escaping the body. Gnostic teachers would try to draw a sharp distinction between the God of the Old Testament who is evil because he created physical matter and the God of the New Testament who, according to 1 Timothy 6.16, is immortal, invisible, and dwells in inaccessible light. These false teachers, therefore, said that Jesus wasn't really human. He just appeared to be, all because they were fundamentally committed to the notion That what was most important, what was most primary, what was central about you and the universe was immaterial, spiritual things. 
The Christian has always opposed this false teaching and has testified to the goodness of created matter, of the goodness of the God who creates, of the sameness of the God of the Old and New Testaments, and the need, therefore, to respect the primacy of the body, affirming as Christians the good of the body, of the good of the physical and material, of the essential nature of you as a body, as an embodied person, has always been challenging. At the time that the, the church was just beginning its work, there was the platonic notion of being that pervaded the world. And what Plato would say is this. He said that the creation of the soul happened before the creation of material. That you and I, that every person existed as a soul before the creation of the body. That you actually knew everything that needed to be known because you existed in a soul-ish state. But once you become a person, when you're born, you forget everything that the soul knew before you were a soul attached to reality. And so for Plato, the process of learning is... uh, is remembering what your soul knew before it was attached to a body. And so that's why this sort of teaching that your soul was distinct from your body, that the material was bad, that's why it was so attractive to people that lived in a society that denigrated material. Here's a reality for you. We live in an an era where Gnosticism is coming back and coming back with a vengeance. Do what feels good. Be who you really are. All this is an ancient heresy coming back to an unsuspecting church that hasn't really reckoned with the reality of this dangerous, pervasive, false teaching. You are a body, and what makes you a person is if you have a body. It doesn't matter how big or small that body is. It doesn't matter how old or young that body is. If you have a human body, you are a human person. There's no distinction or difference between existence as a human and personhood. So what makes you you? What makes someone a person? Not awareness, not level of cognition, not self-conception, not ability, not intellectual capacity. Do you have a human body? Then you are a human person. It doesn't matter, again how old or young or large or small or what race your body is, you are a person. There are incredible implications to this. There are incredible implications to the reality that the body for the Christian is primary. Now, you probably have thought of some of them already just in our brief time talking about this reality that God starts by creating a body and then breathing life into it, not by making a soul and then attaching it to some level of materiality. Let me work through a bunch of different implications. This has deep and profound implications for how we understand personhood, including personhood in the womb. A few years ago, there was an article written in a British publication by Miranda Sayer. In the article, she indicated that she had always been firmly pro-choice until she became pregnant with her own baby. She writes, I was calling the life inside me a baby because I wanted it, yet if I hadn't, I wouldn't think of it just as a group of cells that was okay to kill. That seemed irrational to me, maybe even immoral. So she reached her conclusion in her article. In the end, I have to agree that life begins at conception. So yes, abortion is ending that life. But then the harrowing part of the article follows after that. She, says, she continues on, she says, but perhaps the fact of life isn't what's important. 
It's whether that life has grown enough to start becoming a person. Now, usually when we use terms like human being, we mean to refer to a human person. But with Roe v. Wade in the United States, the Supreme Court ripped those two terms apart. You might have a body, you might be a human being, and you're not not yet a human person until a later stage of development. And no one is clear about where or when that may be. And one of the tragic things is to see politicians try to I don't know, jump through all sorts of hoops to try to justify not applying personhood to a human being until later and later and later stages of development. Nancy Percy puts it well. She says that we have now a new category of individual, the human non-person. But for somebody that understands that we are bodies, you cannot have a body and not be a person. When the body exists, no matter how large or small, that is a human person. And understanding that what makes somebody a person is what leads somebody to understand the reality of one's personhood, even when one is existing in a very, very small stage. This has implications for the end of human life as well. Some years ago, now 15 years ago, in 2005, Terry Schiavo, a young married woman, had a heart attack and she was declared by some doctors to be in a persistent vegetative state. Her husband wanted to discontinue her food and water, but her family did not. She wasn't dying, she wasn't terminally ill, but the question in a television debate was asked of a bioethicist from the University of Florida, do you think Terry is a person? No, I do not, the bioethicist replied. I think having awareness is an essential criterion of personhood. Now, in the political debate, that ethicist won the day, and so Terry Schiavo had food and water withheld from her, and she died. She was deemed not a person, despite the fact that she was a human being. Now, for a Christian, this is not acceptable, because what makes you a person is if you have a body if you have a living body. This has implications for the personhood of those with disabilities. Personhood cannot be, must not be withheld from people because they have different levels of ability, intellectual or physical ability. If you are a human being, then you are a human person, and it matters not how abled or disabled you are, physically or mentally, if you have a body, you are a person. And that means that we as Christians and individuals must be utterly committed to the equal dignity of people with a wide variety of varying ability or disability. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. Do you have a body? If so, you are a person. This has implications for the personhood of people of different races. You all 
likely know about the very famous Dred Scott v. Stanford v. Stanford case of 1857, known as the Dred Scott case. It was when this man, Scott, claimed that he and his wife should be granted their freedom because they had lived in Illinois and in the Wisconsin Territory for four years, good places to live. And in these places, slavery was illegal And the laws said that slaveholders gave up their rights to be slaves if they stayed for an extended period of time. But the United States Supreme Court decided 7-2 against Scott, finding that neither he nor any other person of African ancestry could claim citizenship in the United States. And therefore, Scott could not bring a suit in the federal court under the diversity of citizenship rules. And therefore, his residence outside Missouri did not bring about his emancipation from slavery. The court ruled that it would, quote, be improper to deprive Scott's owner of his legal property. And so in that case, really not all that terribly long ago, the Supreme Court determined that you didn't have complete personhood, you couldn't have citizenship unless you had a specific ethnicity, that if you were of African ancestry or heritage, you couldn't couldn't properly have standing in a court because you were not fully a person like somebody with European heritage. But I'll tell you what, for the one that understands that personhood has come through the Lord God forming the man from the dust of the earth and then breathing life into him, we understand that personhood does not depend on ethnicity or culture, but if you have a body, do you have a body? Then you're a person. Man, we get this wrong. I mean, cultures in different places and at different times just get different parts of this right and different parts of it wrong. There are further implications. How do you know if you're a man or a woman? Not based upon the way that you feel, but upon the way that your body is. Because we're made male and female, and we're male or female because of our bodies. We can tell if we're a man or a woman without turning to feelings because we know based upon our bodies. There's an entire mentality, a be who you really are mentality, as if your desires and inclinations are more primary to you than your body is. And this is patently, transparently false when we recognize what Genesis 2 says about existence and personhood. There are many ways that this works out, but one of them is perhaps the easiest way for us to talk about. If I were to trust my feelings and desires alone, I would eat the most unhealthy diet in the world. Just about every meal would be pizza and Coke. I'd intersperse some donuts and EL fudge, double stuffed cookies in there for good measure. And were I to ignore my body, I'd think, well, this is what I desire. This is what I really need. But sooner or later, your body will tell you that you need greens and water and beans and legumes and salmon and less sugar and salt. And this is one of those inescapable realities of the body that I'm still struggling with because it's not my particular desire. The fallen world doesn't understand this. And so it tells you that you're something other than your body. It tells you that your desires or your inclinations are more fundamental than your body. It tells you that it doesn't matter how you use your body because your body isn't really you. One of the things that this should tell us is Because we are our bodies, you can't do something with your body and not have it affect you. There's this this way of talking about sleeping around as if it's something that doesn't really impact you. It's just what you're doing with your body. 
But you can't give your body to another person and not give yourself to that person. Denigration of the body can also lead to making an idol of the body. If, you don't, if we don't realize that we are fundamentally our bodies, we can start to idolize the body to the point where you can't post anything on Instagram unless there's a filter or some airbrushing. I had a friend who I did improv with years ago. She pursued a job in modeling and television. One day on Facebook, we were all amazed because she upload, uploaded a picture that had been taken, you know, shot with professional lighting, with professional makeup. It had been airbrushed and touched up and edited, and she posted this as her Facebook profile picture. And I saw it, and I was amazed because I realized that she actually didn't live up to the picture that she had posted on Facebook. I had always known, right, like, man, these are unrealistic standards that people see when we take a look at magazines. What I didn't realize is they're so unrealistic that this person, my friend, didn't even live up to the appearance that she had in this particular picture. She didn't didn't look that good. And as she sort of continued down this path, I mean, she she was a knockout. But she didn't feel like she lived up to this, and so little by little she got rid of pictures that were not edited or airbrushed, where she did not have makeup, right? And there was this strange idolization of appearance. This is the result. This is what comes when we forget that we are bodies. We either uh, demean the body, we do whatever we want to it or with it, not realizing that we're impacting our, our very selves, that our selves don't exist apart from our bodies. We, we don't realize that we can't do something with our body and, and remain unchanged or unaffected by that sort of thing. And so either we denigrate or just dismiss the body, don't treat it well or carefully, or we idolize it, right? I mean, these are the, these are the, the fallen ways of dealing with the body. And it's not, something that just, it's not something that just impacts unbelievers. It's something that impacts the church. It's something that impacts me. The fact that we are bodies, that our existence is not separate or separatable from our bodies, has implications for our redemption. What Romans chapter 8 tells us is that we eagerly look forward to the redemption of our bodies that when Christ Jesus comes, he doesn't come just to claim a small segment of your life, that actually it's not even totally appropriate to, to just say, all right, I've, I've given intellectual agreement to the Lord God, therefore I am a Christian. When God comes, he comes to claim you body and soul for Christ Jesus. You can't just give your mind to the Lord and keep your body for yourself. You can't just say, yeah, I've prayed the sinner's prayer, now I'm going to do whatever I would like with my bodies. We must give ourselves body and soul over to the Lord Jesus Christ, and your physical life has implications for your spiritual life. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be a holy person? Well, trust Christ Jesus and study and know God's word. Keep God's commands and get enough sleep. All of these, all of these impact how we live and operate because we are embodied Christians. And if we want to be faithful Christians, we need to give ourselves along with our bodies over to the Lord God. I remember I had a, uh, I had a 
pastor who was a mentor of mine when I was in college group at College Church in Wheaton. And one of the things that he used to say to me was this. He used to say, Derek, sleep is 50% of your sanctification. If you want to be holy, if you want to grow in holiness, you need to sleep enough. It's 50% of your sanctification. And he did that because we're embodied creatures, right? We can't be holy apart from the reality of our bodies. And I ran into him a couple years ago at a Gospel Coalition National Conference, and I told him that I remembered that, and he goes, oh, Derek, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. Sleep is 80% of your sanctification. <laughs> Do you want to be holy? Well, rec- Amen. Use your bodies wisely. To that end, redemption is accomplished in a specific way. Redemption was accomplished because God became a body. That's the language that the scriptures use. The word became flesh. Christ Jesus became flesh. He didn't just operate a puppet. He didn't just appear to be a human being. The word became Flesh, And if I'm understanding Isaiah correctly, the Lord Jesus became a man who was not particularly attractive. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And so quickly does a type of Gnostic teaching start influencing the church that the writers of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit stress the physical reality of the incarnation, stress the reality that that the Lord Jesus Christ really was and is a human man. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.